No pressure there, Brian. No. Oh, thank you. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. Oh, man, it is such an honor to be with you guys this morning. Um, and I just want to say that Brian and Laura Davis have represented North Central University well. They, to me, are the greatest missionaries of all time. I think I just learned the expression recently because I'm a bit behind the times. I think GOAT, greatest of all time. Brian and Laura Davis are the GOATs of North Central University. They are missionaries who have established a work that is sustainable, that is led and run by local believers and incredible what they've done there. And I just absolutely love my time with them. And Ethan and Taya Davis now to see them as like adults here at North Central University. I can tell you some stories about them. Okay. So if you want to know a little bit about what they were like as children, let me tell you, uh, they've changed a lot. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, uh, Taya. And I'm assuming Ethan's here somewhere. Uh, there he is. Okay. He, did, he didn't sit with his family. Uh, no, but I, I'm just... I'm excited to be with you. I've been in some of your classes, and, and so I'm just going to jump right into things today because I know you have more classes to go to. There is an expression or a cliche that we often use in the Christian world that says the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. What does that really even mean? Do we really believe that? Because when I hear the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, I can't help but think of Joseph. The man had a vision, a dream from God, and he shared it with his brothers, and they beat him up, threw him in a well, sold him into slavery, and I can't help but think the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Or I think of John the Baptist, literally the only one that we know of that was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He, he prepared the way of Jesus and he was thrown in prison and beheaded. And I can't help but think the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Or I think of Paul the apostle. Dude was crazy. He gets drug out of the city, stoned, left for dead, gets back up and goes back into the city. There's a scripture here from 2 Corinthians. I'm not going to read it to you, but he talks about being beaten like, I think he says, oh, let me just look it at. I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. I will never understand why he didn't just say 39, but he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. He was in danger of this. He was in danger of that. But the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The reality today is that obedience to God's calling, whatever channel of culture God's called you to, obedience to God's calling will most likely lead you into places of brokenness and suffering. I can't help but think of Jesus. You remember he said this in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That doesn't sound safe. So the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, but we need to redefine safe. And so, yes, it is the safest place, but the reality today is that it will cost you everything. 
I've been a missionary now for 16 years, and I know, I know you're looking at me and you're thinking there is no way she is that old. And you're right, I'm not. I started really, really young, like when I was 10. But I've been a missionary now for about 16 years, and guys, I gotta say, Africa, Africa is where it's at, man. I mean, you gotta, my heart, my passion, my calling, my dream was Africa. And I loved being in Senegal. I loved so many things about Senegal and working in the northern part with, with Brian and Laura and the incredible, incredible things that they were doing up there. I loved it. I was living my dream. Africa was my dream. But on May 19th, 2014, everything changed. It still shakes me to my core to realize how in a matter of hours, in a matter of moments, everything in your life can change for forever. Because in the early morning hours of May 19th, 2014, two men broke into my home. They immediately came into my bedroom. They blindfolded me. They tied me up. They put a gag in my mouth and a knife to my throat and proceeded to rape and torture me for two hours. They told me they were going to kill me. They told me they were going to kidnap me and take me to Mauritania as one of their wives. But ultimately, when they were finished and they left me alive, it took some time to free myself and, and to get out of the house. And I went down half a mile down the road to Brian and Laura Davis's house and just pounded on their door until they woke up and they came downstairs and can I tell you, the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years following that were some of the most hopeless, the darkest moments of my life. I believe the safest place to be was in the center of God's will. So what happened? That was all I could say to God is, God, what happened Within 48 hours, I was flown back to the United States, and I spent, I, I'm from Texas, so gosh, Minnesota, you guys have nutty cold weather. Um, but but I, I was back in the U.S. with family and friends, and I remember about three weeks after the attack, I decided to go to this, this meeting that we have every year with a bunch of pastors and missionaries that come together, and friends told me, they said, Amy, it's too soon. Amy, don't go. Don't go. It's too soon. They were concerned that people would say something that, that would increase my pain, but I told them, I said, no, this pain is too deep. This this pain is too great. I cannot do this alone. I need my people. And I would say to you this morning, North Central, that we were not created to live in isolation. We were meant to bear one another's burdens, and you have a gift in the body of Christ today. And there is nothing more the enemy wants for you to do when you are hurting than to isolate yourself. So if you are hurting today, reach out. Don't try and do it alone. And I went to this meeting, and it was wonderful. People loved me, and they, and they were great gracious to me. But now you got to understand with what I'm about to say, it had only been three weeks and I was still literally in shock. And this lady comes up to me. I had one lady who was like my bodyguard. She never left my side and got me out of weird conversations because sometimes people are weird. Uh, and, and, and this lady comes up to me. I didn't really know her well, but she's one of those people who gets right in your face. And she gets right in my face and she starts saying, Amy, Africa needs you. Amy, don't give up on Africa. Amy, Africa needs you. And as she's saying this, I could feel something bubbling up inside of me. And then all of a sudden I just blurted out and I said, but evil is winning. Nothing we do counts. Nothing we do matters because evil is winning. And my friend graciously pulled me out of that conversation 
And I went home that night, and I wrote the most hopeless email I've ever written in my life to all of my friends and all of my supporters, and it was simply entitled, It Feels Like Evil Is Winning. Have you ever felt like evil is winning? Not long after that, I went to a place in Seattle, Washington, uh, that our organization has for counseling for pastors and missionaries. And guys, I thought I thought I would only be there for a couple of months, but I went and I spent eight months doing nothing but going to counseling and going and watching the sailboats on the lake. People often tell me today, you're so brave, you're so strong. I'm standing before you this morning and I'm telling you I am neither brave nor strong. I am weak and I am dependent and I have just enough grace for each day and that is all that God asks of any of us. And so I spent that time, I could tell you so much about it. It was so, so painful. It was so, so dark. I remember one day leaving my counselor's office and sitting in the car, and I didn't forget how to drive. I didn't forget where I was staying, but I sat in that car for three hours and sobbed because I didn't know what to do. I don't know how else to explain it to you. I just sat there, and I thought, I don't, I don't know what to do until finally someone, the grace of God, somebody called me and helped snap me out of it. I was so lost. And I'm going to be honest with you, there were days of anger with God. And I'm going to tell you, it's okay to be angry with God. But this is my one advice, that if you are anger, angry, in your anger, run to God, not from God. He has broad shoulders. He can handle your anger. And during that time, every day I would pray a prayer. And I would stick both of my fists out in front of me, tightly closed. And I would say, God, I let go of everything. God, I give you everything. And I would slowly open up my fist as I prayed that prayer every day. And while I knew in my heart of hearts there were many things the Lord was asking me to release, there was one thing I knew he was asking me to let go of, and it was Africa. And again, you've got to understand, Africa was my dream. It was the death of a dream for me. And I cannot tell you how painful and how hard that was. And I would continue to pray that prayer every day. And then, and then a friend uh, in Vietnam, Joel and Marie Watson, they, they'd known me since I was a little girl. Amazing, amazing people. And he would write me and he would say, Amy, come to Vietnam. Amy, just come. Just spend a couple of weeks with us. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to do anything. Just come. And I didn't want to go. Uh, guys, you know, there are people who pray, you know, God, please don't send me to Africa. I have literally prayed, God, thank you for not sending me to Asia. And now my friend was inviting me and they were afraid I was going to. I'm like being serious, you guys. My friends invited me to Vietnam because they were afraid I was going to be stuck in Seattle for forever, and that was a possibility. And I didn't want to go. And guys, I don't want to offend anybody here this morning, but I'm like the least likely person to be a missionary because I am the world's pickiest eater. No joke, for real. I haven't grown out of it. I still haven't grown out of it. And they think they eat weird stuff in Africa. Oh my goodness, guys. They eat some funky stuff in Asia. Yeah, they eat like the, no, no, it's disgusting. They eat like these little baby octopuses that are still alive. I mean, come on, that's inhumane. They have these, these half, um, 
I think fermented is the word, half fermented, like duck eggs, pollute or balut or something like that that they eat. I mean, we had one family in the church buy some to eat, and you know what? They hatched before they ate them, so now the family has pet ducks. But, but I mean, like disgusting stuff, okay? You get the point. I didn't want to go to Vietnam, but, but they kept on and they kept on, and there is something to be said about persistence because finally I said, look, if leadership approves, I'll make a trip. I didn't think leadership would approve. But they quickly approved. They thought it was a great idea. And so I was going to Vietnam. And I remember being in line at LAX airport about to board the plane. And a friend of mine calls me and says, Amy, are you excited? You're going to Vietnam. Are you excited? And I said, no. No, I'm not excited. I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. I said, because I know exactly what God's going to do, and I don't want him to do it. I want it to be Africa. I don't want it to be Asia. Guys, I am a little bit stubborn at times, and I would, you know that that when you like know what God's trying to say, and you so almost think you can change his mind, and then you confuse yourself, that is where I was. And I landed in Vietnam, and let me tell you, Vietnam is a million gazillion miles away. I ended up overdosing on in Am- with Ambien on the plane and passing out. I mean, gosh, wild stories. But I finally got to uh, Vietnam, and uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously, guys, my life is like nonstop craziness. Uh, But so I got to Vietnam and I was mad and my friends, they loved me and they were gracious with me and I would help them and I went out to the orphanage with them and and to this day, I, I can't tell you how it happened. I don't understand it. I don't know how it works. But somehow during that trip, for the first time in nine months, I began to feel life inside of me again. I don't know. I tell people I don't know if it was that the brokenness in me connected with the brokenness in those kids. I don't know if it's the fact that sometimes in our giving, God brings our healing. But somehow God began to stir up life in me again. And I told my friends, I said, I'll come back to Vietnam. I'll help you for one year. But then I'm going back to Africa. Guys, here's the deal about me. I'm always going to be obedient. But sometimes it's a reluctant obedience and it takes me a little bit of time. And I went back for that year and it was a hard year. I was still healing. There were good things. There were bad things. And midway through that year, I made the decision. I couldn't fight God on it anymore. I was going back to Vietnam full time. And I wrote my leadership and I sobbed for three days after making that decision because I didn't understand it. And then I remember just before I was getting ready to come back to the U.S. for a year to itinerate, to travel and raise money, uh, I remember feeling so overwhelmed one day. I'd finished teaching a class at the orphanage, and I was just thinking, God, I don't understand. God, this doesn't make sense. God, this isn't what I thought my life was going to look like. God, I don't understand. God, I speak French. I don't speak Vietnamese, God. I don't understand. And I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And I was walking down the hall, and I passed by the three- and four-year-old classroom. And one of my favorite little girls, Nam, she was sitting on the floor, and she was sobbing. And what was happening, the kids were sitting with a pile of toys around them, I think like Legos. And you got to understand, these kids are orphans. They own nothing. They have nothing. Nothing belongs to them. But in that moment, those toys were theirs. And what had happened was one little boy, and I'm just going to be honest with you, it's always a boy one little boy takes one little toy from her pile and she is sobbing. And so I picked her up and I comforted her and sat her back down and she was playing happily. And I looked at her and I thought, she overreacted. But then I thought, I thought, but you know, I understand what's going on in her mind. 
I understand that she doesn't understand, and I'm not angry with her. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Amy, I understand that you don't understand. And I am not angry, but I am patient, and I am loving, and I am kind. And your Heavenly Father is saying to some of you today, I understand that you don't understand. I understand the limitations of your mind. And I am not angry, but I am patient, and I am loving, and I am kind. And then I I came home, and I itinerated for a year. And here's the deal, guys. I can't be fake. It's not in my DNA. You're going to see straight through me. I can try, but you're going to see it. And I thought, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to raise money for a year to go to a place I don't want to go? And and I finally was like, you know, I'm just going to be honest. And so I traveled the U.S. for a year and told people, I don't want to go to Vietnam. Will you support me to go to Vietnam? And I don't know, people are crazy because they supported me. And I went back to Vietnam, and and it's been a learning thing. And then three years ago, one day, suddenly and completely unexpectedly, Joel Watson just collapsed and died. Came out of teaching a class one day and just, just died. Very, very devastating, very sad, very unexpected. And I sat with this widow in the hospital, and she looked at me, and she said, we have to close it all down, Amy. She goes, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. And again, in my reluctant obedience, I said, it's okay, Marie. I'll step in. I'll cover everything till we find a permanent solution. And on the side, I told my other colleagues, I said, don't let me get trapped in this. And now three years down the road, I am that permanent solution. I am now pastoring River Church, an international church in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And guys, if God can use me, if he can make me a pastor of a church, then God can use anybody because I literally have no idea what I'm doing, for real. At the same time, I am leading the River Educational Consultancy, which is a business's mission. I'm involved with the School for the Poor. I'm still connected with the orphanage. But if I can tell you in all of that, I still wrestled with this thing in my heart that Vietnam was just a consolation prize. It was as though God was saying, you can't cut it in Africa, Amy. So here's Vietnam. I know, I know, I know that's wrong. Okay, hear me. I have messed up thinking sometimes. And, and, and I wrestled with that. And a year ago, November, I was preaching a series through the books of Moses. And I had preached on Joseph. Remember Joseph? We talked about him at the beginning. I preached on Joseph. And, and you know, you remember how God redeemed and restored and rebuilt him. And he stood before his very brothers who sold him into slavery and said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. And I thought about that as I got home that afternoon and sat on my sofa and I wrestled with it. And I said, you know what, God, that's really cool. That's awesome, God, how you restored Joseph. But I said, but God, he still lost everything everything. He still lost growing up with his family. So really cool, God, but he still lost it all. And then I couldn't help but go to Job, who literally lost everything. I mean, his kids die, and then sure, God rebuilds him and gives him new kids. And I'm not a parent, and I don't think that's how it works, though, that you just replace your kids. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is really awesome, God. This is really cool. But God, he still lost everything everything. And I know you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, how is this girl a pastor? But I'm wrestling with God and you've already figured it out. 
I'm looking at it through the lens of my own story. Because literally overnight, I lost everything. I didn't even get to pack up my house or get rid of my things. Brian and Laura had to do all of that for me. And so I thought, God, you've restored me. You've redeemed me. You've rebuilt my life. But God, I still lost everything. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And you're going to want to write this down because this is straight from God. said, Amy... Don't allow grieving what you have lost keep you from embracing what you've been given. Don't allow grieving what you have lost keep you from embracing what you have been given. If you're grieving today, I say grieve, man. Grieve. Feel it all. It's healthy to grieve. But in your grieving, don't let that grieving keep you from embracing all that he is giving you now, today. Your life may not look the way you thought it was going to look. Your plans may not have worked out the way you thought they were going to work out. But don't let that grief keep you from embracing what he has given you today. And in the same way that I realized in that moment, Egypt was always part of God's plan for Joseph. I don't understand the path that led him there, but it was always God's plan. And in that moment, I realized Vietnam was always part of God's plan for Amy Farley. I don't understand the path that led me there. It doesn't make sense, but Vietnam is no consolation prize. Not long ago, I was watching Disney+. Plus. Guys, I love Disney+. Plus. I keep thinking that one day I'm going to grow up, but it just still hasn't happened. And, and I'm watching this show called Secrets of Sulphur Springs. It's a children's show, okay? Has anybody seen it? Okay, somebody makes me feel like not a nerd. Thank you. Um, and there's this, there's, this, there's this family that moves into this house, and there's a time portal in their basement. And they can go back in time, and they're trying to fix something bad that happened. And I'm watching this, and the Holy Spirit can speak through Disney Plus. Because, because I, <laughs> I, I'm watching this, and I thought, if I found a time portal, and I could go back to May 19th, 2014, and I could change what happened, would I do it? And I stopped, and I thought, and this isn't going to make sense. And I surprised myself. But I said, no, I wouldn't change a thing because my faith today is so much greater. My love for God is so much stronger. My relationships are so much deeper. A young lady wrote me recently asking, how does what happened on May 19th affect you in ministry today? And I thought, and I said, it doesn't hinder me at all. I said, if anything, it has become a strength for me today. Your source, your greatest heartbreak, your greatest grief, if you will release it to God, will become your greatest strength in ministry today. So Brian and Laura and Taya and Ethan, we walked through some terrible, terrible hard stuff. And you dealt with some after effects that I didn't have to deal with. And I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that it wouldn't change a thing God has completely redeemed my life. He has restored my life. He has rebuilt it, and I wouldn't change a thing. The safest place to be is in the will of God, but it may cost you everything. I close with this verse, Deuteronomy 29.5. 
You got to get the picture of what's happening here. By the way, like Joseph, I want that moment. I didn't get to face my attackers. I don't even know who they were. And they weren't caught. But I want that moment to face them. And I say this with all sincerity because I want to face them. And I would say to them today, you, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. In Deuteronomy 29.5, Moses is standing before the children of Israel. They're about to leave. They're about to go into the promised land, and Moses is about to go off and die. And, and he says these words to them. I love this scripture. He says, yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. What I hear in that scripture is the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. He will never abandon you or forsake you. Life may get hard, but you remember today, students, he will always be with you. And what I picture in that moment is Moses standing on that mountain with his arms outstretched and busting out in the chorus, all my life you have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so good with every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Bow your heads with me. Father, you are so faithful. You are so good. And God, while we face extreme heartache in this world, you told us, Father, you said we would have trouble in this world. But to take heart, because you have overcome the world. You said that in you we would have peace. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning for peace, for healing, for hope, for restoration. With your heads bowed, I just want you to hold both of your fists out in front of you tightly closed. And I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of, you know, you know in your heart what it is that you need to let go of today, that you need to lay down, that you need to say, God, I, I'm not going to carry this anymore. God, I'm going to give this to you and let you do the redemption, the rebuilding, the restoring. And so open up as you sit and you let the Lord speak what it is, I want you just to pray that prayer and say, God, I give you everything. And just open up your fist and release it to him. Father, I speak your healing today for the broken hearts. For those women in this room who have walked through hell, Lord, I pray for your peace and your healing in their hearts today. Whatever the grief is that, that we're carrying this morning, Lord, we, we choose to give it to you. As the worship team leads, I just want you to feel, feel free to come up here and pray in the altar. I want you to feel free to do what you need to do right now. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you, whatever he's doing in your heart right now.